Book One, A Shipwreck and a Feast. I sing of arms and of the man, the man fated to be an exile who long since left Troy and came to Italy, but on his way suffered quite a deal of bad luck, particularly from Juno, who kind of hates everyone. This would be the beginning of the Latin race, the beginning of Alba Longa, and inevitably the beginning of Rome. But tell me, Muse, why was Juno so angry? I mean, why did Aeneas, this one man, why did he violate the will of Juno? I mean, what, what, what on earth did he do, really, to cause this much problem? Then again, you know, Juno does really dislike a lot of people. It probably didn't take very much. But why? Did Juno drive a man so famous for his piety to such endless hardship and suffering? Can there really be that much anger in the hearts of the gods? Obviously, yes. I mean, that's the whole point of the entire Trojan War, but we won't worry about that right now. There was a city named Carthage. It was a great city. It was beautiful. It had a lot of money and also it was great in war, which means it really is the best kind of city available in the ancient world. Juno loved it more than any other city, even more than Samos, right? And she even kept her chariot and her armour there. So <laughs> that just says it all, really, doesn't it, apparently? But Juno had heard that one day, this city that she wanted to raise above all others in the world, which is really quite a thing to do, she heard the Trojans would destroy it, which means she didn't really like them very much. And then you see, on top of that, there was the tiny problem of fate. You see, uh, there were a few reasons why Juno really, really kind of hated the Trojans. I mean, for one thing, they were going to destroy Carthage, her favourite place in the world. Another thing, um, obviously the Trojan War hadn't really settled well with her. She really did quite like the Greeks. Um, third thing, Paris, a Trojan didn't quite choose her over Aphrodite with that slightly awkward bit with the golden apples so that still bore a little bit of resentment in her heart and then on top of that Jupiter her husband had taken Ganymede um, a little Trojan boy for his in inverted commas cupbearer and we'll just leave that one there so basically she wasn't really a fan of the Trojans Despite this, the Trojans were feeling pretty good about themselves. They were almost out of sight of Sicily and they were heading for the open sea and the wind was beautiful, the ocean was calm, what could go wrong? Juno saw this and wasn't really best pleased. <laughs> Excuse me, am I, Juno, queen of the gods, best thing in this world since bottled ambrosia, going to be defeated now? Oh, so the fates don't approve. Well, do you know what? Who gives a toss what the fates think? What are they going to do about it? You know, Pallas Athene, right? She was allowed to kill Ajax, one of my favourites, because he was a little bit guilty. Mm-hmm. She was allowed to impale him on a rock. Lucky thing. Do you know what? What, what do I get? Nothing. I'm the queen of the gods. I am the sister of Jupiter and his wife, don't forget. You know, that is a lot to deal with at once. You know, it messes with your head. And I get nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not so much as a sacrifice. Is there actually no one left to worship me? At all. These are the thoughts that Juno was turning over in her mind. 
as she came to Aeolia, the home of the clouds, a place teeming with the winds. Here Aeolus is the king, and he lives in a cavern where he keeps winds and storms chained up. I don't know how, but he does it, so let's just go with it. He sits in a high citadel holding his scepter and he soothes their spirits, which is quite kind of him. In fear of the damage they could cause, it was Jupiter who had banished the winds to these caverns and it was Jupiter who had made him king. And so therefore Juno went up to him and she said, Aeolus, babe, how are you doing? You look you look pretty good right now. Have I, um, have I mentioned that you are the best king of the winds we have ever? ever seen just saying so um okay yeah yeah I'll, I'll cut to the chase um tiny thing these trojan blokes you know just casually passing by um i kind of hate them so would you make a bit of a storm um maybe drown them that'd be good you know if you could scatter their bodies all over the sea that would be really fab i would really appreciate that and uh, if you do I just so happen to have uh, 14 nymphs, rather attractive and uh, rather liberal ladies, if you uh, see what I'm saying. Deopea is uh, quite the charmer, if you um, catch my drift. You can have her, if you'd like. We should make a lovely wife, bring you some lovely sons, no daughters, we don't need those obviously, but uh, a few lovely sons. Uh, what do you say? Do we have a deal? And obviously, I hear let's one look at you and know, thought, yeah, obviously we've got a deal. Woo, get myself a wife. Uh, so there we go. And at these words, simply done, he struck the side of the mountain with the butt of his spear and the winds formed a column and poured out in a hurricane over the whole earth. The east and the south and the southwest winds fell upon the sea again and again, whipping it up from the bottom and rolling huge waves towards the shores. The men screamed and ropes fell and clouds blotted out the sky and the Trojans saw death flash before their eyes. Aeneas's limbs grew weak. Groaning, he lifted his palms up to the sky and said, Oh, how lucky those were to have died in Troy, worthy in battle and glorious. To be remembered, that's all I wanted. How I wish I had died there rather than be lost at sea here. Even as he threw out these words to the sky, a squall came howling from the north, catching his sail full on and raising the waves to the stars. The oars broke, the ships were destroyed, some of them were hanging on the crest of the waves, for others the water flooded in. Three of them were caught by a south wind and driven off completely. Another three were spun around and around on the same spot until they were sucked into a whirlpool and vanished. Neptune, meanwhile, observed this disturbance in his ocean. He saw the rampaging of the storms and, rising from the depths, he lifted his head high above the crest and looked serenely out over the sheer destruction that was happening before him. He recognised at once the anger and the source of the commotion and he summoned the east and the west winds immediately. Who on earth do you think you are? This is my ocean, not yours. Piss off. Go on, off you go. Back to your cave, cheeky buggers. These were his charming words, and before he'd even finished speaking, he was calming the swell already, dispersing the clouds and bringing back the sun. Triton and Simotho 
sea nymph pushed the ships off the rocks and Neptune himself lifted them out of the sandbanks with his trident. It was almost as if when disorder arises amongst the people of a great city and the common mob runs riot, <laughs> a bit like a senator here, wild passion finds weapons for men's hands and torches and rocks start flying, as if at such a time when a man who has some weight Orctoritas comes among them, known for his goodness and his piety and all those other wonderful things that make up <coughs> Augustus. Oh, who said that? The men then fall silent, standing and listening to his words with all their attention, while his voice soothes their passions and their hearts. And so did the crashing of the sea fall silent as Neptune, looking out over the waves, calmed it all up and then drove off, as you do. Now, Fairly enough, Aeneas and his men were a little bit exhausted. So making the best speed they could, they headed to Libya. There was a place in a harbour where there was a small inlet that they could sit, and so they managed to come to land. The last seven ships of Troy disembarked, and first of all, Achates started a fire. And they all basically collapsed, to be honest. I mean, I don't blame them. They'd had a bit of, <laughs> bit of a journey. Aeneas, of course, being our hero, climbed up to a rock to get a view over the land they had now found themselves upon. He tried to see if he could see any of his friends or their ships that were out there, but there was nothing, though he did notice some stags, and going towards him he found a herd, so he managed to shoot seven and bring the carcasses back, so at least they had a dinner. He also poured out some wine with the hero's generosity that he always had, and he stood before his men, and he said, look, guys... We've had it worse. We're still alive, right? Yeah? Come on, we've all, we've, we've beaten Scylla. We have been through Charybdis. We have destroyed a Cyclops. We have done all these different things. We've survived the bloody Trojan War. I mean, for God's sake, we're, we're pretty cool, guys. We can do this. Okay, we're still here. Fate's going to see us through. Of course, Aeneas is our hero. So he had to say these words to his men, but actually... He was worried, sick, with all the cares that were going on, but he showed them the face of hope, he put on a mask, and he kept his misery to himself. So the men ate, and while they did so, they thought about all the men that they had lost on their way, and at the same time, Jupiter was looking down from the heights of Olympus. Even as he was thinking about all the sufferings that the Trojans had gone through, Venus came up to him, and she said, Oh my god, Daddy, like, what the hell are you doing? You promised me that the Trojans would become these, like, amazing people and bring a whole new race, and you said that everything would be fine, and instead, look what you've done. My my little boy is suffering, and the only comfort I had throughout that whole nasty war was that, you know, you said everything would be okay, and that he would be famous, and look at him, this is ridiculous. I mean, have you changed your mind? I mean, why are you making me watch him suffer so much? Jupiter looked at her and smiled, which I can only imagine was a bit irritating. Hunt, look, don't worry. I got it under control. Their destiny remains unchanged. Lavinium will rise. I have not changed my mind. Do you know what? I'll tell you the story of the fates. 
Aeneas will wage a great war in Italy and he will crush the tribes. He will build walls for his people and establish a way of life, but he will only reign for three years. Sorry about that, but it's just how things go. Ascanius, who receives now the second name Ulus after Ilium, he will reign for 30 years and his kingdom will then become Alba Longa. And here, the race of the Trojans descended from Hector will live for 300 years. And then Ilya, the priestess, will have a little bit of a incident with Mars, shall we say, and she will have twins by him. And Romulus shall receive the people and he will build Rome and he will bring the people of Mars, the Romans. On them I impose no limits of time or place. I have given them an empire that will know no end, even Juno who we know is a bit of an ass, and I have to live with her, so I would know. Even she will love them. There will come a day where they rule the world. They will even rule Greece. From this noble stock, there will be born a Trojan Caesar, <clears throat> Augustus again. He will be called Julius, and he will be bound by no limit to his empire, and his fame will know the stars. In time to come, have no fear, you will receive him in the sky and he will become a god. Then wars will be laid aside and finally the peace will come. Truth and Vesta will dispense justice. The gates of war with their tight fastenings will be closed and godless strife will sit inside and there will be peace. So spoke Jupiter. And he sent down Mercury to go and make Carthage a bit more welcoming for Aeneas. He went and, you know, made Dido a bit nice, made sure she was actually going to be kind to these Trojans rather than sending them back off where they came from. Aeneas, understandably, couldn't sleep that night. And so the next day he set off early with Achates. And as he was walking through the woods, trying to find his way around this strange new place that they'd found... They came across a, uh, a Spartan girl who was actually his mother dressed up. That's a bit weird, isn't it? There we go. She got a bow hanging from her shoulders in hunting style and her hair was long and flowing. Hey there, guys, she called out. Have you seen one of my sisters uh, wandering around? She's, um, she's wearing a spotted lynx skin <laughs> and she's got a quiver, you know, typical kind of get up. So spoke Venus and Aeneas saw her and said... <laughs> I haven't seen a girl like you or your sister around here, but bloody hell, I wish I had. You don't look like a mortal, though. And you don't speak like a human being. I mean, no offence. <laughs> but, um, are you a goddess? I, uh, <laughs> don't know if I uh, should let you know, but um, I'm quite used to hanging out with uh, the gods and goddesses. My mum is uh, actually a goddess herself. So, you know, you're in safe company here. I, I understand what it's like. But, uh... Are you, you know, you you appear almost like Diana. Maybe you're a nymph. I mean, please be kind, because whoever you are, you must, you need to hear about our distress. Where are we? We we don't know, we don't know what's happened. We've been shipwrecked here, and I will make sure I sacrifice many lovely animals to you if you could just help. Venus probably raised an eyebrow at this point. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm, a, I'm just a, your average hunting girl, just passing by you know 
this is the Phoenician kingdom and we're Tyrians, you know, if you want to know. Dido is our queen and she's from Tyre and she came here. It's a long and awful story, but you seem to really like those, so I'll tell you. She was married to Sicaius, the wealthiest Venetian, and she loved him, um, obviously for, you know, not just his money, I'm sure. Um, but Tyre was ruled by her brother Pygmalion, who was a little bit of an ass, and he actually killed Sicaius and kept it a secret. We're not really sure how he managed that for so long, but anyway... Sakaius came to Dido in a dream, and he told her everything. He told her to escape. He told her where to find treasure. She made a plan, and she gathered followers, men who also hated Pygmalion. They seized some ships and loaded them with gold and sailed away, and she led the entire undertaking, which was pretty cool. I was there, obviously. Um, they arrived here, which is where we call Carthage. Though when she did arrive, there was a bit of a rude king who said to her that she could only have as much land as she could cover with the hide of an animal. So she cut up the hide into tiny strips and actually made a very large piece of land with that. So she tricked him. She's a pretty clever lady, our queen. But uh, who are you? Where have you come from and where are you going? In reply to her question, Aeneas drew a great sigh from the bottom of his heart and said, Oh, goddess, if I were to start at the beginning, we'd be here forever. But do you know what you want to know? And I don't mind. I've, I've nothing to lose now. We are from Troy. If the name of Troy has ever reached your ears, which I'm sure it has, because we are very famous and quite amazing. I am Aeneas, known for my devotion. I carry with me the gods of my home, the Penate. My fame has reached beyond the skies, I am sure. My descent is from Jupiter. Uh -huh. Venus is my mother. Had I mentioned that? Just to put it in there. She helped show us the way, and I set off with 20 ships, and now I'm here with seven. There was a shipwreck, and it was awful, and I've never really suffered such an awful journey in my life, and I'm now helpless. I'm a stranger. I've been driven out of Europe, and I've been driven out of Asia. And now I'm here in Carthage, and I just don't know what to do. And Venus really had had enough. She broke in on the tale of his really quite prolonged sufferings and said, Look, whoever you are, I don't believe you're hated by the god, surely. You I mean, you're, you're alive, you're here, you made it to Carthage. You should go and see the queen. I can tell you now that your comrade have restored and your fleet will be returned and the winds have veered to the north and blown them safe. But, um... <clears throat> I know this is true because uh, my parents, yes, I, I have parents, that's right, that's what mortals have. I have parents and they taught me how to interpret bird signs. Yes, that's right, birds. Birds, I love birds. And look, there's uh, 12 swans over there, that's convenient. And also there was an eagle of Jupiter swooping down and therefore everything is going to be fine. Um, some have just reached the land and some are, you know, have already reached it and they're, they're going for you. Everything's good, go on follow the road where it may take you off you go when venus had finished speaking and digging herself into a hole she turned away and her neck shone with that rosy light her hair breathed the divine odor of ambrosia and she sparkled all over her dress flowed free to her feet and as she walked he knew she was a goddess as she ran off aeneas recognized and he said mum seriously what the hell will you stop embarrassing me in front of my friends this is mortifying with these reproaches, he took the road that led to the city, but Venus, she put a cloud of mist around them so no one would see them, so they could observe everything without being noticed. 
They ran on their way and they came to the citadel where they could see the entire city. Aeneas was amazed by the sight of it. Something that had been nothing but shepherd's huts and now all of a sudden had a paved street and was actually becoming a real city. For once he could see what he really could maybe one day achieve if only the gods would let him. The Tyrians were like bees at the beginning of summer, busy in their sunshine, all through the meadows, bringing out the young of the race, just come of age. The hive is seething with activity, and obviously they have a queen to lead them. Lucky bastards, cried Aeneas, looking down on them. Their walls were already rising! As he moved on through the people, no one saw him. There was a wooded grove... When the first Phoenicians had been driven there by the wind, Juno had led them to this spot. Here Dido was building her a huge temple, which would have many offerings and was absolutely beautiful. In this grove, Aeneas saw a strange sight, which for the first time made him feel a bit less afraid. While waiting for the queen and studying everything there was to see, he marvelled at the fortune of the city and he saw laid out in order in this temple the depictions of the battles fought at Troy. The Trojan War was already famous throughout the world. Everyone understood and had heard of their sufferings. The two sons of Atreus were there and Priam and Achilles who hated everyone really. Aeneas stopped and he wept and he said to Achates, is there anyone now who wouldn't know us? Is there anywhere that we're not famous? These people will understand. I don't think we need to worry anymore. They know us here. As he spoke, he was thinking all about the walls of Troy. On one side of the image, the Greeks were in flight with the Trojan warriors hard on their heels, but on the other, the Trojans were retreating and Achilles, with his crested helmet, was pursuing them in his chariot. Aeneas looked upon the horrors of the Trojan War that were still fresh in his own mind, and he saw everything laid out bare as it had been and as it would be for eternity. He was gazing, rooted to the spot and lost in what he saw when Dido, in all her beauty, arrived at the temple with her warriors around her. She was like Diana. And like Diana, she bore herself joyfully among her people, urging on their work for the kingdom that was to be. Then, in the doorway of the goddess, under the middle of her vault of the temple, she took her seat, and with her armed guards about her, she gave out laws and rules of conduct, dividing the work equally and allocating it by lot. And then Aeneas saw a great throng of men approaching. All his Trojans who'd been scattered over the sea by the storm, he was astounded, and so was Achates. They were both stunned with joy and fear, and they longed to clasp the hands of their friends, but they did nothing and they stayed hidden, just in case to see how Fortune and Dido would handle their friends. They came in, and they addressed the queen. Ileonius, the oldest of them, made his appeal. Queen, Jupiter has allowed you to make a new city, and bring with you proud people. We are the unhappy men of Troy, blown over the oceans by the winds, and we come as your suppliants. You must understand our suffering. Please save our ships from fire. We are God-fearing men. Take pity on us. Look more closely. We have not come to hurt you. We have nothing left. We have been pushed out of our city by violence and arrogance, and we do not have those. We are defeated. 
We were on our way to Italy, which is where we believe we are fated to go when there was a storm and we got lost from the rest of our fleet. And we've drifted on your shore, but we don't understand your people. They won't let us come on. All, all we want is to put our ships here and maybe rest for a couple of days before we go on our way. Our king is Aeneas. You must have heard of him. There is no equal in his piety or justice or on the battlefield. Please, just let us rest for a short period of time. Hopefully he will come back to us, but if not, we will only stay a couple of days and then we'll be on our way. Dido looked down at them and she made a brief answer. Don't worry, men of Troy. Please put every anxious thought out of your hearts. This is a new kingdom and that's the only reason that I have, you know, so many of these harsh frontiers. We just have to be careful. We are escapees ourselves. You know, we understand what it's been like and who could fail to have heard of Aeneas and the city of Troy and all of the men and the hardship that you have gone through. In Carthage, we are not so dull in mind as to not know what's going on in the world. Whether you choose to stay here and live with us or just be here for a couple of days and then be on your way, by all means, please make yourselves at home. You will be safe here. I wish only that Aeneas had also come because it would have been a pleasure to meet him. But Anything you need, I will do. I will send men who I trust to cover the entire coast if I can and find the rest of your men in case Aeneas has also been shipwrecked and is wandering around. And then, brave Achates and Aeneas, they were desperate to get in now and really make themselves heard, as you could imagine. And Achates looked at Aeneas and he said, Mate, let's just why are we waiting like they obviously really like us look at this she knows all about you this is amazing come on your mum said it'll be all right let's go he barely finished speaking when the cloud that was all around them suddenly dissolved Aeneas stood there resplendent in the bright light of day with the head and shoulders of a god his mum being a mum you know she came and made him look a little bit nicer you know she kind of did his hair a little bit tweaked his and put some beauty on him as a sparkle in his eyes you know probably a bit of took that dust off his nose you know wiped him down a bit that kind of thing embellished him a bit like you would add ivory or gold to some marble and then suddenly he addressed the queen hello the man you're looking for is here it is i aeneas the trojan saved from the libyan sea and you dido have alone pitied the unspeakable griefs of troy lucky you we are the remnants left by the Greeks. We have suffered every calamity that you could possibly imagine and that everything could inflict upon us. We have lost everything we knew and now you're offering to share your city and your home with us. We don't know how to repay you. We, we literally can't repay you. We've lost most things at sea and this is it. Though it's not bad to look at it, let's be real. I just hope that the gods bring you the reward that you deserve, if there are any gods who have regard for goodness, if there is any justice in this world. I don't understand how you could be and how how your parents have produced such a wonderful daughter, but I will praise you for the rest of my life for this. As he did this, he held out his hands to his friends and obviously they were quite happy to see each other. Dido was naturally quite amazed to find this very attractive, 
man suddenly standing before her, literally as she dreamed him up. That was quite lucky. And she thought to herself, what kind of chance is this? She said, how could you be hounded for all these dangers? How have you got here? Are you really Aeneas? I mean, I remember once in our kingdom, a Greek came to Sir, and he'd been exiled. And even though I know that you were his enemy, he taught us everything about Troy. And ever since then, I've known your name and the names of all the Greek kings. And even Teusa held the people of Troy and you in great respect. This is why I now invite you to come. I do know your story. I have been brought up with your story. I understand. I also have understood ill fortune like yours. And I've been thrown from one awful thing to another. And through my own suffering, I am learning to help those who suffer. With these words, she led Aeneas into her palace. And she didn't forget his friends either. And she sent down 20 bulls, a 100 hogs and a 100 fat lambs with their mothers as gifts to celebrate. Meanwhile, the inside of her palace was being decorated beautifully. There was a banquet and a feast and this hall was full of draperies of proud, richly worked purple because they did like their purple. The silver was massive on the tables. There was gold everywhere. It was so much wealth. But despite all this amazing beauty that was before him, Aeneas, as a father, could not think of anything else other than his son. And he asked Achates to go and bring Ascanius to him. He was all he could think of. He also told Achates to bring back with him gifts for Dido from the ruins of Troy, the ones they had managed to save from the shipwrecks, a cloak stiff with gold embroidered figures, a dress with a border of woven yellow acanthus flowers. These miracles of workmanship have been given to Helen by her mother. That's awkward, isn't it? And she'd taken them from Mycenae when she came to Troy for her slightly awkward marriage of Paris. There was also a scepter, which had once been carried by Ilione, the eldest daughter of Priam, and a necklace of pearls and double gold coronets set with jewels. Achates ran off to these at once. Meanwhile, Venus was turning over new schemes in her mind and devising a few new plans. She decided that Cupid, maybe, if he took the form of Ascanius, could help bewitch this queen and save her son. For Venus, you see, was afraid of the treacherous health of Carthage, and particularly Juno's hatred. Cupid, <laughs> darling boy, you know how awful Juno is being to your charming big brother. She won't stand by and let Dido, you know, be so kind to him. I'm, I'm quite worried, so I've got an idea. Listen, make Dido fall in love with Aeneas. I'll go and get Ascanius and I'll hide him asleep in one of my shrines and you can go in his place. He's just a boy like you. It'll be great fun. You can sit on Dido's lap and make sure to, you know, smother her with that love that you bring and the fire and poison of it all. Of course, Cupid did as he was told. He took off his wings and strutted about a little bit, pretending to be his, well, what was Euless to him? Some kind of strange nephew, I suppose? Anyway, Cupid went down, pretending to be Ascanius, and... At the same time, Venus took the real Ascanius and put him to sleep in one of her shrines. The Trojans and the Tyrians gathered together for one of the most beautiful banquets they had ever seen. It was such a feast. 
They admired the gifts Aeneas had brought and the Trojans admired all the food that they got to eat, finally. Most of all, though, Dido noticed Ascanius, and she gazed and was moved by him when he ran over to Aeneas and gave him a great big hug. There was something about this boy she just couldn't help being drawn to. He was so cute and she just wanted to keep him on her knee. And she had no idea that there was such a great god sitting on her lap, ready to bring about her destruction and suffering. The first pause came in the feasting eventually. And as it did, Dido spoke and she said, Jupiter, to you we pray because you are the god of hospitality. I hope this day is a day of happiness for both the Tyrians and for the Trojans. Let our descendants long remember this. Let Bacchus have cheer among us and let Juno, kindly, wonderful, sweet Juno, be happy. And I hope that you Tyrians celebrating this with us tonight welcome the Trojans into your hearts. She poured out a libation of wine first to the gods and then she herself took a drink before passing it along. Dido drew out the night with all manner of talk, not knowing that she was doomed, not knowing that she was drinking in the love from Cupid on her lap, not knowing what this would do. She just couldn't help herself. She was asking question after question about Priam and Hector and what armour did Memnon, son of the dawn, wear when he came and what kind of horses did Diomede have and how tall was Achilles? But you know what? No, no. Please, tell us from the beginning. Please, Aeneas, tell us about the treachery of the Greeks, the sufferings of your people and your own wanderings. For this is the seventh year that you have been crossing and wandering over every land and every sea. We want to hear your story. 